This episode of Not Your Mother's Podcast is, once again, a solo cast. I feel like you're going to enjoy it. However, I do want to warn you ahead of time, while there's little to no cursing, I think I dropped two curse words, um, it's a very graphic episode. So I'm covering the things that are going on in Southern California right now. And I did want to release this episode sooner, however, I was waiting for some more information to come to light. There's things in court, there's more stories that are being told. There's more victims that are coming forward. So if you've been paying close attention to the Southern California issues, the Inland Empire issues, I think you know what we're talking about. This episode is the one that you've been looking for. We go through the victim stories. We're also going to go through um, some some more blogs, as per usual. And I think it'll be very eye-opening for each and every one of you. So thanks so much for your support of Not Your Mother's Podcast. And enjoy this solo cast episode with yours truly. So this is an episode of the podcast that's been a long time coming. As you can see, it's the same format as I've had the last three episodes. And um, I don't know how long I'll continue doing these. I do have several other episodes that still need to air. So my apologies to my friends, uh, John Keister, Becca Stone, and I feel like there's one more in there somewhere um, that needs, oh, John Bannister. Sorry, that uh, still needs to air, so I apologize. But um, as you can tell from this setup, it's going to be similar to what we've talked about before. And I, again, I don't intend to make every single episode uh, center around what's going on in the way of news as far as people telling their story and more members of the Independent Fundamental Baptist cult being accused and even imprisoned, but these are things that I think are important for us to have conversations about. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, what happens so often, and we've seen it time and time again, I know that's trite, but we've seen it so many times that there's a big, what I would call a hullabaloo, or a big noise, or a lot of news right at the beginning about something coming out, someone telling their story, um, someone being accused, uh, attorneys, and all that. And then it gets quiet, and then we don't hear anything, and we don't hear anything for years. And then we start asking, and we find out that it got swept under the rug again. We find out that they got a good uh, defense attorney, and um, you know they got off uh, with a you know a lighter sentence, whatever it is. It got real loud for a hot minute, and then it got real quiet, and we didn't hear anything. And that's how I'm used to these things going. And that's the reason why I keep putting these episodes out. I know you don't all love them, and I get that. (laughs) And I know that, especially with this episode, there's going to be some opposition for what I say. And if I'm going to be real with you guys, uh, with the things that I put out, you'd think I would get a lot of hate and opposition. It's, It's really not as much as you might think. So... Uh, that's it's good. It's a relief, but uh, part of me says, um, you know, it, it, I wouldn't say I'm disappointed, but that means that we need to reach more people. That means more people need to hear. And I'm not here to pump a podcast. If I was doing that, I'd be paying attention to my iTunes downloads or um, you know my views on YouTube, my subscribers. And hey, by the way, thank you each and every one of you that have taken the time to support the podcast in whatever format. You, whether you forward it to someone, send it to someone, or leave a comment, hit the like button, whatever, or you're just silently in support, thank you. I'm not trying to diminish what you're doing, but at the same time, uh, what I'm trying to get at is I'm not 
I'm, it's not that. The, the, I want people to know. Like, my whole goal here is to get the word out. It's for people to know. It's for people who either are completely outside of the IFB or for people who uh, are just curious or whatever the case may be. I want these, these stories to get more traction. When, when it's been, for the most part, it's been women so far that are sharing their stories. When they share them, of course, they get a lot of traction, generally on Facebook, and then news media will pick it up from time to time. And, and that, that is not something I ever want to interfere with. And I'm always very supportive, and uh, generally it's via private message or leaving a comment on their post. But, um, you know, I am not trying to compete with that at all. I just know that there's more ears and eyes here that may not have seen their post or heard their story, and I want you guys to hear it as well. Also, I, I have uh, uh, some strange desire to break down the responses uh, from those that either were accused or support the accused, and uh, we're going to do a little bit of that today, um, but mostly today we're telling, um, I've got three, maybe four different stories that I want to tell. Uh, it's again similar format. I'm going to pull out the laptop here and uh, read them over to you, and and I'll give my breakdown and my thoughts. But you know they're they're inconsequential, inconsequential. I think I said that right. When compared um, with what with what these stories are saying, like I just I just want you to hear the story. My docu my commentary on it is in many cases neither here nor there. I just I want these stories to be told. To a few more people, so that's what I'm here to do. A uh, couple of housekeeping items. Getting started, I wanted to uh, just within uh, the last, I'd say within the last two weeks, I've had I wouldn't say out of the woodwork because there are people that I I, I knew these people. We just hadn't had uh, conversations up until now uh, about the podcast, but I've had a couple people show us some love here on Not Your Mother's podcast. So I want to give them a quick shout out and um, just say thank you to them and then kind of talk a little bit about what they've done to uh, to help or what what they've what they've said that's been an encouragement first um, uh, I have I haven't listened to all of the podcast on good humans uh, my great great friend Josh Owens I haven't listened to all of his podcasts but uh, I've listened to a few and it seems like every time I listen to one he's shouting me out or shouting out uh, not your mother's podcast, so I, I got to thank Josh first. And there's a lot of you that I need to thank, so I apologize if you know you've shown me support in one way or another, or you sent a private message and I haven't looked at it or responded. I'm so sorry, and I'm so thankful for your support. Um, but Josh Owens, first and foremost, thank you, man. I, I appreciate so much um, your love for the podcast and your help and what you're doing, guys. If you enjoy this podcast, especially the earlier episodes, you definitely should check out Good Humans. They're actually on way more platforms than me. Josh is on uh, Spotify. Uh, of course, um, uh, he's on everything else you want to consume podcasts on audio. So I believe he's on, I'm certain he's on SoundCloud and of course iTunes and I believe Stitcher as well. So check out uh, Good Humans podcast. Uh, okay. And I'm not, this isn't an ad. No one's paying me for this. And I'm Excuse me, and I'm done with pumping other people's stuff. But I, I gotta say that Josh has been very, very helpful and very supportive. Okay, and then this is a shout out uh, that brings some chagrin. My 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 good good friend Tim McCammon. I'm sorry, I did not get the mic set up. 
Uh, I've had, and I would not call it a complaint, Tim just said, hey, can, can we get some more volume? I've got a mic here. I've got to figure out how to set up my AV over here and get that running correctly. So I apologize. This is probably going to be another low volume podcast. So my apologies, Tim, and those of you that are listening um, strictly just audio. It has not been the best quality, and I'm aware, and I'm working towards a solution. And one more shout out, uh, I think twice now on the podcast, there is a, it's Pastors or Preacher's Delight um, conference that's coming up in uh, September, I think. I, I don't know exactly when, but it's out in, out in Florida. I've got some good friends in Florida. And uh, I was at uh, an event with a friend of mine, several friends of mine, uh, um, this past weekend, two weekends ago. No, 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 this past weekend. And uh, I'm sorry, I forgot when it was. <laughs> but... Uh, Brian Pattison has actually uh, pledged, good friend, has actually, good, good, I'm giving everyone else good, good, or great, great, so I'm sorry, Brian, good, good friend. Uh, Brian Pattison has pledged, uh, I, I think, uh, I think it was, uh, I can't remember the exa exact monetary value, but he has pledged to help send me to that uh, conference. I really need to look up the dates, because if enough people pledge, I'm going to have to go <laughs> figure out how to get time off work. Um, and it wouldn't be to protest, it would just to be kind of sit in and, and figure out what is going through these guys has this is this is where uh, what's his name this is where Bob Gray is gonna be <laughs> senior Alan Domley is gonna be Tom and Greg Neal you know the voyeurism fellas uh, and um, Cameron Giovanelli they're all gonna be there and so <laughs> if enough people pledge I'll, I'll figure out a way and I'll go another thing and and I'm not I'm not asking this is uh, just off the cuff here but uh, my good friend Sarah Jackson myself and her would love to uh, have a, a video podcast together where we're in the same room and so I'm trying to figure out how to get out there to her or get her out here to me so we can do that I think that would be something very helpful and again also lending itself to this whole the opposite of this narrative of all this noise about you know an accusation a crime uh, molestation rape whatever it is and then all of a sudden it getting quiet I want to keep keep the noise level up for um, all these people that are coming forward. I don't want this to, to peter out at all. Okay, so we are going to get to, um, I'm first going to read you the, the news story that broke uh, when the arrest was made on July 27th. We're going we're gonna to go through that. Uh, U.S. News and World Report, I'm going to read from them, a fairly trustworthy source, and um, we'll go from there. But there is... I feel like I'm missing something else I wanted to say, but there is a lot going on in, in the area where I live right now uh, beyond Cameron Giovanelli. There's a lot of other things going on. So I'm going to read you a few stories uh, that people have published, uh, and as far as victims are concerned, I have I've gotten their permission before reading these. Um, so here we go. I'm going to read you the story from New U.S. News and World Report uh, that was published on uh, July 29th, so I'm going to pull that up. Authorities say a Southern California youth pastor has been arrested on suspicion of sexually assaulting children over nearly two decades. The Press Enterprise reports Malo Victor Montero was arrested Friday in Riverside County, east of Los Angeles. The 45-year-old could face charges including intent to... Alright, this is... These stories, I just need to take a break for a minute and let you guys know. These stories I'm going to read are fairly explicit. The news stories I'm going to read are very explicit. And I'm going to do my best to not curse on here. But I'm going to read what's written down, what's been typed out. So 
if, if this is, um, again, we're not indulging in any of this, but we are reading you what has happened, excuse me, to these people, and it's important that when they're, whatever they're, whatever the victims are willing to share, it's important that it's shared in full, in my opinion. So I will be sharing these stories in full, and I don't mind you skipping around, listening, watching different portions of this podcast, maybe skipping through something that might be a little too much for you, if it's too triggering, if it's too, um, you know, it brings back too many, uh, uh, you know, nightmarish memories, things like that. By all means, I'm not asking you to consume this content or even share it if it's something that you feel will damage yourself emotionally um, in any way, shape, or form and or any of your friends. So, again, this podcast is not about trying to get, and, and I appreciate every one of you that have supported it, but it's not about getting more views or, or hurting anyone. It's simply about telling the truth and telling more of it. So, I'm going to continue with uh, reading from the Press Enterprise. The 45-year-old could face charges including intent to commit rape, mayhem or sodomy, lewd and lascivious acts on a child, and sexual penetration by force. It wasn't immediately known if he has an attorney. That has since changed. This is an older article, but I'm trying to at least to some extent keep a timeline here. The Sheriff's Department says deputies were alerted in June to alleged lewd acts by Montero. Officials say detectives determined that several juveniles were allegedly sexually assaulted between 1999 and 2017. Eighteen years this was going on. The name of the church where Montero worked was not disclosed at that time. The Sheriff's Department, um, uh, jail records, sorry, jail records listed him as Montero. Uh, there was a misspelling on the original report. So... <clears throat> The church where Victor Montero was serving when this happened is Faith Baptist Church. And um, here's what happens. When one person has the strength and has the wherewithal and has the fortitude to come forward, it inspires others to do the same. I am not going to get into, while I don't, I'm not saying it doesn't have any merit, I'm not going to get into um, the negativity side of the Me Too movement. And what I mean by that is, I'm not saying, in, a, in relation to this story, I don't see this at all. But there are times where a lot of people want to jump on the train, so to speak, and, and say their thing or say their piece, and that's fine when it's true. But there are times when things come out and they are untrue. But if a district attorney is working with a detective, and I'm not here to say that our system is not without flaws, but when you go through the due process and you get locked up, I mean, it speaks for itself. We've got guys running around still that need to be locked up. We've got Cameron Giovanelli, it's a matter of time. Um, you know, uh, who, was, who did we talk about? Uh, Greg Neal, again, I don't know how he goes away for what he did, but I hope at some point he gets caught for the other things he's done because it's never an isolated instance. So, um, but if, if law enforcement has gone as far as they have and if there's many, there are as many stories as there are and there are that all corroborate enough to get you locked up, that, that, then we're on the next level. Then we've moved, we've moved to it being a reality and not just a Facebook post or not just someone's opinion or someone's podcast. We're, we're in it now. So, and one thing I want to back up, I, I recalled what I wanted to say earlier, and that is 
Um, I've had a couple people, whether it's a comment or a direct message, and it's not in a in a um, in a negative way at all, have mentioned to me, "Hey, you're aware that it's not just the IFB." Now, for the majority of people who've reached out to me to to make that sentiment known, I it's not been them letting me know. It's not been in a negative way. It's not been like. Well, it happens everywhere, so who cares? Like, it's not been that. Although, that is the sentiment of many people I've run to on the run into on the internet, where it's like, well, yeah, but these people do it and these people do it, so why is it a big deal that, that the Baptists do it too? Well, it's a big deal that anyone does it when it comes to molesting a child, when it comes to all these incredibly egregious things. It's a big deal. So my concern is that when you want to generalize it, and everybody's doing it, picking their nose and chewing it, all that jazz. Like, if when you decide to start generalizing these incredibly horrendous crimes, then we've got a problem. Now, again, people who have reached out to me or left comments, I don't read that from them at all. I read that as them saying, like, "Hey, you know, it's happening other places too. Are you gonna, you know, are you gonna cover these other stories, or are they gonna be brought up?" And the answer is. Maybe I don't know, but here's here's what I would say when it comes to not your mother's podcast and covering anything that's that's cult related or sexual abuse related outside of the independent fundamental Baptist movement. I don't have experience there. I don't have experience in Catholicism. I don't have experience in any other cult. I'm not calling Catholicism a cult, but any other cult or religious organized religion. I don't have experience in those other ones. I haven't worked in them. I didn't grow up in them. I wasn't indoctrinated into them. I'm not saying that doesn't mean we won't at some point cover them. Again, the, the thing that's breaking in Pennsylvania with the Catholics right now is just, oh, I thought we were out of the woods with that. It's so terrible. And not out of the woods in a good way, but just, you know, I, I thought that was, what, 10, 12 years ago, and they learned their lesson. Um, and again, don't take that the wrong way, please. Like, everything that's coming forward, everyone that's coming forward, everything that's coming out needs to come out. These people need to come forward. These these uh, criminals need to be locked up. All I'm saying is I, I don't have a background in those religions that lets me speak to how and why, and I don't have personal connections with people in those religions that allow me the access to tell their stories. Um, so again, nothing... Uh, not trying to change the playing field or say one's worse than the other or and or saying it doesn't have look Bill Cosby Harvey Weinstein like I'm not saying it's isolated at all I'm not saying well the IFB is the only place this stuff happens no that's not what I'm saying what I'm saying is the IFB is the only place where I have experience being a pastor being a youth pastor for a time um, going to their Mecca in Hammond every year going to the, their their favorite Bible college where everyone was supposed to go in Hiles Anderson like that's what I have experience in and so that's why what I talk about generally has to do with the independent fundamental Baptist movement and I know this may I might come off a little bit angry about it I'm not and I don't have a problem with people continuing to approach me with other stories from other denominations and, and things of that nature that's that's all good and fine let's keep spreading the word and 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 letting people and, and and letting others know because listen the more we spread the word the more more victims feel the courage and the desire and say you know what I am strong enough I can come forward I can tell my story so I'm all about sharing all of these stories again with with with, with truth at the heart of them let's keep sharing them and let's keep uh, this movement going and I don't have anything against uh, talking about other movements 
I just I know this movement very well. I was so involved and entrenched in it for so many years, up until I would say from birth, definitely born in Hammond, by the way, uh, from birth up until you know my late twenties. So, the church where this happened at, when this story broke, more women started coming forward. I'm gonna move our timeline back a little bit. And I'm going to, the names that I name are names that, again, I've spoken with victims and I have their permission. So the names that I'm naming, when, it's not something where like, well, this guy just running to say what he wants to know. It's, it's very, very thought out. It's quite the process. And I, I want to make sure everything's vetted correctly. We're going to go back a little bit at the same church and we're going to tell a different woman's story and how that panned out for her because when this victim came forward, these victims came forward in regards to uh, what Victor did. This woman said, this same, this same thing happened to me a long time ago. I do not feel strong. I do not feel courageous. I do know that I am 100% positive this is what God wants me to do. I know this is going to hurt some people, but that is not my intent. That's powerful. This does not come from a place of vengeance or bitterness. Am I angry? Yes. Do I wish I could get justice? Yes, but I cannot. I am telling my story to pave the way for other women and girls to feel empowered to do the same, like I was just saying. I want this kind of behavior to stop, and if it occurs, not to be covered up. By the way, I feel like I need to make another qualifying statement. Um, I, I've said it before, but I think what you're, what I'm going to read you and what we're going to talk about today, there's a lot of um, church and God injected into it because that's where it happened and that's what's going on and that's these people's background. And by the way, if you can go through something like this, come out the other side, tell your story, and still have a belief in God, I don't, again, in the very beginning, I don't have a problem with people having a belief in any sort of God as long as you can find benefit there, you and your family can find benefit in that belief and it's not harming others, you're not pushing it down someone else's throat. But another level, if you, and again, I don't find it ludicrous, if you're able to go through these kinds of things and still maintain a belief in God, good kudos to you, bravo. And again, none of that is meant sarcastically. But I'm gonna, what I'm gonna read, there's gonna be scripture throughout, there's gonna be mention of God and people's faith in God, and I fully respect that. I don't, this isn't, I know this, this sounds probably somewhat uh, opposite to some things that I've said before, but if you've listened closely and listened to me make my qualifying statements, you'll understand that I personally do not have an issue with a belief in God. Now, if you believe in a God that's super pissed all the time and is, you know, this Zeus type dude that's trying to rain down, uh, you know, hellfire and brimstone on you because you are a girl and you wore pants or you listened to, you know, Adele, like that, that's going to be a problem for me, okay? But if that's the God you believe in, believe it. You just don't got to shove it down my throat. And I'm not saying any of these victims are doing that in any way, shape, or form. They're just speaking from their heart. She reads from John 8:32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Covering up, covering up crimes leads to more victims. When I was 15 years old, my family and I were attending Faith Baptist Church, pastored by Bruce Goddard. We'd been attending for several years. There was a man named Laverne Paul Fox, known as Paul Fox, on staff, whose title was bus director. Here we go again. I just talked about this at Kevin Cowling's church. He also worked in the teen department and was the principal of our Christian school. Lots of access to kids. 
I was very close to Paul and his wife and their two boys. My family and the Fox family spent lots of time together. I loved them like parents, and at one point they called me the daughter they didn't have. Yeah, sounds like it sounds like a lot of stories actually, and I, I'm, I'm not diminishing it, but I'm just I've heard this before within my own family. I was often at their home. I would spend the night and babysit their boys when they would go out together. I would describe my relationship with Paul as an adopted father-daughter relationship. With a stressed relationship with my second stepfather, Paul stepped into that role in my life Excuse me, as an adopted dad. I confided in him and would get counsel from him just as a girl would to her dad for advice. He would hug me like a girl would get a hug from her dad. It didn't feel weird or awkward. It actually felt good to get a hug once in a while from an adopted dad. He would tell me I looked pretty or that he liked my dress. At some point, there was a kiss on the cheek. Again, it didn't feel weird or inappropriate. I've seen lots of dads kiss their daughter's cheeks. One day, I confided in him that I was jealous of my friend because she had a teddy bear that she carried everywhere. She got it from her dad. And it hurt me that I would never have a special thing like that from my dad. One day, shortly after that conversation, this is called grooming, by the way, Paul picked me up in his car. I was in the back seat. He said he bought me something and that it was in the bag on the floor. I was so excited about a gift from my adopted dad. I opened the bag. It was from Kmart. There was a teddy bear inside the bag. Wow, my dad, air quotes, loves me. He got me a teddy bear so I would have that special something from my dad. I felt so loved at that moment. I felt like a little five-year-old girl. I held on tightly to that bear. A few minutes later, he said there was something else in the bag. Wow, another present? I reached way down the bottom of the bag and pulled out the skimpiest pair of panties I had ever seen. I couldn't believe it. I was so embarrassed. I quickly shoved them back in the bag. I didn't know what had just happened. Emotionally, I was a little girl holding a teddy bear, and then this? I didn't know what to do. I didn't say anything, and there was an awkward silence as we started to drive. As our school principal, his office had a window, and my desk was up against the window facing the inside office with dividers on either side. We would have private conversations through that glass. I liked being the special one that he paid attention to. He would have me work in his office, filing things in a filing cabinet that, went, that was straight across from his desk. Over the next days and weeks, Paul would ask me if I wore the panties he had given me yet. The question embarrassed me and made me uncomfortable. He then started asking me if I was wearing them now. It was embarrassing, but the more he asked, the less embarrassed I got. It wasn't long after he asked about them that the kiss on the cheek landed on the lips. It felt good, but I knew it wasn't right. This was my dad, and I loved him. I was 15, confused, and didn't know what was going on. One night I was staying at Paul's house overnight to babysit as he and his wife were going out. They left the house together, but he came back in alone. He took a book off the bookshelf and handed it to me. He told me to read it after the boys went to bed. The book was titled The Act of Marriage. It was a very detailed book on sex in marriage. The kissing quickly got more passionate and soon after the sex began. I didn't like it, I felt awkward, and it was uncomfortable and gross. It was never enjoyable as it was so emotionally confusing. I cannot fathom. I was 15 and in love with him as a daughter. I was emotionally his little girl and so I let him have what he wanted to keep his father-daughter relationship going. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, it's very clear that he had groomed me, like I said. Over the next year, he became very arrogant and cold. He even told me uh, one day that his wife had known about the college girls he'd been with back at Hiles Anderson College. She would have let him, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. 
He even told me that if his wife had known about the college girls he'd been with back at Hiles Anderson College, she would have left him a long time ago. This relationship went on week after week, month after month. I grew tired of the emotional confusion, confusion, but still wanted a dad. I was in love with him, but he wasn't loving as he used to be. On June 3rd, 1992, I was 17 and knew it was time for this to stop. I was caught being dropped off alone by Paul the previous night when I saw him out teen soul winning. After Wednesday night church, Bruce Goddard wanted to talk to me. I knew this was my chance to speak up about the relationship. I could tell by the way Pastor Goddard was acting that he had no clue what was going on. He asked me if I'd been with the Foxes the night before. I knew this was my chance. I said I was with Brother Fox. The confused and surprised look on Pastor Goddard's face gave me some strange relief. I knew things would get better now. He asked me something like, where were you at? I said, driving around. There were some very long pauses between questions and equally long pauses before I would answer in one to two word answers. I knew I had to tell him, but I felt like I was betraying this man that I loved. By the way, that's all part of the grooming process. Every victim's story, or most of them that you'll hear, you'll hear them say things from their abusers that were said to them by the abusers, and the abusers tell them, you can't tell anyone. They tell them two things consistently, especially in the IFB. You can't tell anyone because no one will believe you. And to an extent, they're not wrong. They're the pastor or the assistant pastor, the youth pastor, the, the bus director, the school principal. They are highly esteemed and they are, in fact, godlike. And you are not. You're just a kid. And you're just there to cause trouble. You're just there to stir up problems. You're not going to be, you will be believed by some people, but not by the right people and not by many people. Continuing, the conversation with Pastor Goddard seemed like it lasted for hours, but very few words were spoken. At one point, Pastor Goddard asked me if we'd kissed. I remember saying, uh, yes, very dramatically, so that he would know that there was more to it. But to my surprise, he didn't ask any more questions. In fact, no one ever asked me any more questions. During our conversation, Pastor Goddard went out of the office several times. At some point, around midnight, uh, that it seemed like hours since the conversation started, Pastor Goddard took me to sit with Mrs. Goddard at their house while he went to my home to speak to my parents. To my surprise, Mrs. Goddard was mad at me. She called me a homewrecker. She used biblical terms of what I'd done. She never bothered asking me what happened or how it started. She just assumed it was all my fault. This is a 17-year-old girl who's been with her school principal. Somehow it's her fault. I don't blame this all on the IFB, by the way. America and Western civilization, I was talking about this with someone yesterday, the day before, we have an incredible propensity for rape culture. And if you're not familiar with it, look it up because it, it reads like all these stories read. I just remember they're sitting there crying and feeling so completely alone. I remember regretting telling Pastor Goddard. I didn't know what I thought would happen when I told him, but it was definitely not this. Should I have done it at all? Why is she mad at me? After Pastor Goddard went to talk to my parents, he went and talked to Paul. Pastor Goddard told me he had to pick up, he had to, Pastor Goddard told me he had to pack up and leave immediately. Pastor Goddard moved the Fox family out of, out of California within 24 to 48 hours. I mean, <laughs> okay. I mean, that's, that's what it is. There's, there's no two ways about that. He moved them back to Indiana to First Baptist Church in Hiles Anderson College, which is where they were hired from. 
Paul was counseled by his friend Jack Scott. Big surprise at First Baptist Church. A decade later, Jack Scott was caught victimizing a teenage girl at his church. At the advice of his attorney, Charlie Craze, Pastor Goddard had the deacons make the decision whether to notify law enforcement or not. The decision was not unanimous, but the deacons chose not to notify law enforcement. I was young and heartbroken. I didn't know how to deal with the situation. I wasn't offered any help or counseling. I remember asking Pastor Goddard if I could talk to Paul because I wanted to tell him why I spoke up about the relationship. Pastor Goddard told me I needed to treat this like death. I didn't understand what he meant. I was 17 and had never lost a family member to death. The next several days were a blur. I punished. I was punished by having to work outside Excuse me. until my parents got home when I wasn't at school. I had to paint the house stall, the horse stalls, pull weeds all afternoon. My mom went through my room, turning it upside down, taking everything they thought was from him. They even cut him out of pictures. They never knew the teddy bear was from him. I didn't know why, but I kept it for years, even into my late 20s. Mrs. Goddard drove me home from school the next two days. I remember her trying to talk to me and make casual conversation, but I was hurt by the things she'd said. I received a call during those first couple days from Charlie Craze. He asked me if I wanted to press charges. I responded emphatically, no. I was 17 and still in love with Paul. I told Charlie Craze that I wanted to talk to Paul, and he said I couldn't, and quickly ended the conversation. Uh, I, Charlie Craze called my mom and asked her if she wanted to press charges. She said yes. He told my mom that he wouldn't be representing me. He would represent Paul Fox in Faith Baptist Church. My mom told him that the relationship did happen, thinking maybe he didn't believe the, the relationship really happened. He explained it didn't matter if it happened or not, that they didn't represent the laymen, only pastors and churches. He then proceeded to tell her that he would make me look like it was all my fault. I understand that even the criminals need attorneys, but why would a Christian organization represent church staff and churches even if they know they're guilty? I don't understand how this whole situation was so mishandled. I was never even offered counseling or any kind of help with the emotions that I had. I wasn't allowed to talk about the situation with anyone. Everyone loved the Fox family and they seemed to know that I had something to do with them leaving. There were rumors that went around, some I've just recently heard, so people treated me differently. My three best friends got mad at me. They would talk about me like I wasn't even standing there. These were girls I'd known for five years. I cried myself to sleep every night Life was lonely, and church and teen activities were not the same. I had no friends anymore. I don't know how, but I got through the summer, and my senior year started. I missed Paul and wanted to talk to him, but knew that I couldn't. I still cried every night. I was sad and had no one to talk to. Can you imagine that, putting yourself in her shoes? There's no one. There's no one for her to talk Like, there's no one for her to talk to. Her, her, again, I'm not, what's the word? I'm, I'm not making it. I don't want it to sound like it was an okay relationship, but she was 15 years old. She knew no love before this, sexually or otherwise. So essentially, her lover was gone. Her her parents and um, uh, her pastor were in, even though they knew the truth, were in a condemning state, giving her intensive outdoor house chores and um, a pastor's wife treating her so like. There was no one. Her friends were, were gone as far as she was concerned. There was no one left for her to talk to. I didn't know how I'd got to where I was in life. Isn't your senior year of high school supposed to be the best year? Not mine. Greg Beal became our principal, and he didn't like me. His nickname for me was Brat. It was my worst year of high school. I felt like everything I did was wrong. I felt like Greg was always watching me, waiting for me to mess up. 
being in our church school, I had a graduating class of two. <laughs> so did I. Four teens went on our senior trip. It was myself, two of my previous best friends, one teen guy, and Pastor Goddard. I remember I was the first one dropped off at Pastor Goddard's house for the trip. As we waited, he told me if I couldn't change the look on my face that I should stay home. I obviously didn't know what he meant. I didn't know what depression was or what it looked like, but I'm sure I had it and it showed. By the way, the Independent Fundamental Baptists don't believe in depression. They don't believe in mental disorders. You'll find people here and there within that movement that do, but by and large, they do not. They call it a heart problem. And, and, and that's not a heart attack or or you have high blood sugar, that, that's a spiritual term, that's a mystical term, it's, it's not a real thing. I was screaming on the inside for help, but I didn't know where to turn. The two girls were still treating me badly, mostly stupid teenager stuff, like not letting me sit with them in the van or be part of the conversation. One night on our senior trip, they locked me out of our hotel room, and, I didn't let me, and they didn't let me back in until the morning. All my luggage was locked inside the room with them. I didn't even have time to shower before we were supposed to leave. All of this and no one around me noticed what was going on. I didn't understand any of it. When I look back now, I still cry and wonder why I didn't kill myself. I'm so glad she didn't. I never even thought about killing myself. I just wished my life didn't exist. In the fall of 1993, oh, she went, I went to Hiles Anderson College. It's a Bible college that all Faith Baptist teenagers were expected to attend after high school. I dutifully went, knowing that Paul Fox was still attending church there. One of the college rules was that you had to attend church three times a week. So three times a week, I had to see Paul sitting there with his wife and kids. I lived through hell the last year, and there he was sitting with friends like nothing ever happened. It killed me inside. During the first year of college, I also found out Paul was working with the teen department at First Baptist Church and had even gone to teen camp with them. I couldn't believe it. What was wrong with people? Didn't they know what he did? Even though I still loved him, I knew he shouldn't be around them. I left Bible college after two years. I couldn't stay anymore. I knew I didn't want to see him any longer. The older I got, the less I loved him, and the angrier I became about what had happened. I came home, excuse me, moved in with my grandparents. I got a job, went back to the local community college, and eventually became a registered nurse. Strange thing, as a nurse, I'm a mandated reporter. I've reported sex crimes numerous times, numerous times for victims, and every time I have to make that call for someone, I think about what kind of help I would have gotten had someone done that for me. Over the years, I've had conversations with people who were either directly or indirectly involved in my situation. I've asked why law enforcement wasn't notified. The reason I've been given over and over is that they had notified law, if, is that if they had notified law enforcement, it would have opened up the church, the Christian school, and the bus ministry to scrutiny and that the church had to be protected. Every time I heard the excuse, I would think to myself, wasn't I part of the church? Wasn't I part of the school and the bus ministry? Who were they really protecting if the very people in it aren't the church? Excellent point, number one. I also want to say, in any church, anywhere, any institution, any organization, I, I do understand the need for you to preserve your reputation. But at the same time, there are several, there are statements from um, different priests right now about what's happening in Pennsylvania. Their statements. Every, anytime something breaks in a more what the IFB people would call a secular situation, or what they would call a um, you know worldly or different religion or 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 what they would call a cult. Not every time, but so many times, leaders will stand up, and we're going to talk about one of them in a moment here. Leaders will stand up and say, "Hey, this isn't right, and this is terrible. I'm I'm so sorry this happened, but 
we got to do something. Something's got to change. Yeah, here, look at every like report, investigate, do what you got to do. This whole mentality of well, it would open up the church. Yeah, it would open up the. What else are they going to find? Of course, it's going to open up the church. Of course, it's going to open up the Christian school. Of course, it's going to open up the bus ministry. But what in the world do you have to hide? You're hiding something. Don't tell me you're not. That's just that, that, that's just ludicrous. You can't tell me this was covered up, and then she was told, "Hey, look, we just we don't want people investigating everything." Why? Why don't you want them investigating? Now, again, what you'll get from, from this church, from any other churches, is, well, it's, it's persecution, and, and it's, it's not right, and it's the devil fighting against us, and it's satanic for law enforcement to come in, and blah, 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 blah. That's what you'll hear from them. But that's not real life. That's not how it works. When something like this comes out, when something like this comes up, when something like this comes to light, everything gets, in, gets investigated. Everyone gets investigated. And if you have nothing to hide... And you've got nothing to worry about. If you didn't pay a parking ticket or you, you know, like my registration's expired right now. Like if that's a problem, like that's one thing. I get it. Like that, that's a silly little thing. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the devious things you've done, whether it be sex crimes, embezzlement, uh, uh, just screwing people over left and right, whether it was legal or not. That's what's going to get investigated. That's what you're worried about. You're not worried about an unpaid parking ticket. You're not worried about satanic influence you're not worried about the worldly people coming in and looking through no 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 no. you're worried about what you did and what you're guilty of that's why you don't want an investigation the other excuse i heard was that they were protecting me by not putting me through an investigation i don't understand that rationale either now i i've spoken with kathy and, and i'll get into this a little bit more but i do I am not giving any excuse or right to anyone that has told her that because they were wrong to tell her everything they told her, but I have seen victims go through this process and it is very weary, it is very trying. So I'm not here to say, all I want to say, I'm not disputing Kathy at all in what she's about to say. All I'm saying is, if you're a victim, I'm not diminishing what you've had to go through or what you will have to go through with an investigation. So I just know that, and neither is Kathy by the way. The hurt and pain I've suffered carrying this myself without any help didn't protect me from anything. She's absolutely right. But because law enforcement was never notified, there was no investigation. Because there was no investigation, no one, no one ever knew how old I was when the relationship started or how long it lasted. The only person that was protected in all of this was Paul Fox. Fast forward 28 years to today. I've lived with this secret alone as I've moved forward in life. I've talked about it with a handful of friends and even fewer family members. I understand that. It rears its head from time to time, whether it's the name Fox being heard or a story of a young girl being hurt by someone like I was. The emotions come flooding back like it happened yesterday. I don't get to control how or when. I'm often surprised and caught off guard by the things that trigger these memories and emotions. But I've been living with this for so long now, it seemed this would be my private battle to live with forever. Unfortunately, this May, I was contacted by a new victim. April reached out to me because the cover-up of my situation was used to keep her quiet about her own abuse. About 13 years ago, April was a victim of Victor Montero, the former youth pastor at Faith Baptist Church. Victor is my brother-in-law. Victor was a teenager when I was a teenager at Faith Baptist Church, and he was dating my sister. Because of that, and because he married my sister, he knew my story and what I'd been through. 
Victor has used my story and the cover-up of my situation to multiple teen girls to keep multiple teen girls quiet uh, about what he was doing to them. Victor told these girls my story and that nothing happened to Paul Fox. Pastor Goddard just moved Paul and his family away. It was the teenage girl that stayed and suffered. After talking to April, I prayed and told God, I don't want to deal with this yet again, but if you need me to do something, you open the door and I'll try to have the courage to walk through it. After learning about April and that there were multiple other victims who were also told about me, I knew I had to tell my story in my own words. It's been my secret I've kept for 28 long years. I didn't bring this back into light. Uh, I didn't bring this back into my life again. It was brought up because it was used in the commission of a crime. God's timing can be seen throughout the revelation of this information. Had April's story come out just two months earlier, I would still be living in Wildemar. I'm now far removed from Faith Baptist Church in Wildemar. I know I'm doing what God wants me to do with my story. I want my story to be out there in my own words. There will be no justice for me, but if telling my story will convince other leaders that covering up crimes for whatever reason is not right and only further, further hurts the victims, then it's worth telling. It's time for this to stop. I believe 100% that if Pastor Goddard had done the right thing and notified law enforcement, there would have been an investigation and that would have led to criminal charges being filed. For me, justice would have been served. As for Faith Baptist Church and its ministries, yes, they would have been scrutinized. However, I believe that when a ministry or organization is pub publicly scrutinized, it forces them to put policies and procedures in place to prevent the reoccurrence of things like this. But because of the cover-up, the cover-up of my situation, there are 28 years later. Here we are, 28 years later, with new victims at the same church. Covering up crimes only leads to more victims. So there you have it. That's Kathy Durbin's story, and I wanted to read through that. Uh, this, this may be the longest piece we read today, but I wanted to read it in its entirety. Uh, it's it's shocking. It's scary. It is, as my mother put it uh, about this and other things. It is the stuff nightmares are made of, absolutely. And it's, I don't, I wish I had, I wish I had more, more, more context or more to say about it. I don't really, I just think it's so much in and of itself. It speaks for itself on every level. Everything she had to say, all her sentiments, all her, 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 her battles, her demons that she's had to deal with. I, these stories are pretty raw. That one was very raw. And again, I apologize. If, if you listen to all of that, it was very intense for you, especially if you've been through something similar. But these are stories that have to be told. So we, we, can't, we can't get to the good stuff and the justice and, and fewer victims. And, 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 and we want no victims, of course. But we can't get to that spot until we go through this stuff that really, it sucks. And it hurts and it's painful and no one wants no one wants to relive it but but you kind of have to in order to retell your story and um uh thank you kathy for I, I definitely need to say that kathy thank you so much for being willing to allow your story to be told here and for telling it yourself um that's inc incredibly it's vulnerable it's hugely vulnerable it's of course very brave is a term that's used over and over again but it's absolutely true so thank you kathy not for the sake of not for the sake of the podcast, but for the sake of other victims who will feel empowered to come forward and say their piece. Like thank you for giving them this story. All right, so we read the story from U.S. News and World Report. We're going to read a little more detailed story now 
um, from the Press Enterprise. Again, I'm not I'm not just finding these articles from some podunk website. These are all legitimate uh, news sources, and uh, we're not looking at the Babylon Bee or the Onion or anything like that here. These are all legitimate sources that have reached out to people that have the information they need, and they've provided it. So. Again, we have several more things to read, and I, I appreciate you bearing with me here, but we're going to read the um, Press Enterprise story. And uh, all the names that are mentioned, again, I won't be um, mentioning any, any names of anyone that has asked for me not to mention their name. If it happens by accident, I'll, I'll cut it out. April Avila said she was 14 when her youth pastor at Faith Baptist Church in Wildemar began grooming her for sexual abuse. It started out as horseplay with Malo Victor Montero, who was twice the girl's age. He would throw a playful jab to her arm, teasingly touch, uh, touch or tug at her hair, call her pet names, and often ask her to help with special projects at work. By the way, let me, uh, I mean, this is going to come off as me making a comparison because that's really what it is. I don't intend for it to be that, but I, I can't help. Um, but just speak to this briefly because I did mention before I was a youth pastor in this cult. And... It does give you opportunities to do things alone with teenage girls, and that's not okay. And I steered very, very clear of that. And um, it's very, it's scary to look at the the power that these men had to to enable them to perform these acts, just awful, terrible things. But we'll read another another pastor's story, and I want to tell you from personal experience, there. You, there's something wrong. There's just something wrong in a man's mind when he feels like he can take it to that level. And again, the way he starts these things out is very simple and very easy. And the way to keep from that, I've talked, and the reason I'm bringing this up is I talked to a couple of youth pastors lately that have said, "Man, I've just, man, I don't do or say anything. Like I'm very standard. I'm like that's the way to be. That's the way that I was. That's the way you've got to be. The jabbing on the arm and 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 and, and physical contact with these girls, mm -mm, man." Just, just don't even give yourself, I don't know why I'm, I'm spewing all this up, but I'm saying don't, don't even give yourself the opportunity to get even close to that. Because guess what? And this is a big thing that's preached in the IFB, like, you know, uh, um, what's above reproach, like not even an, an inkling of anything ever going on. How do you do that? It's real, real easy. You just don't get that close to your teenagers, boys or girls. And I'm not saying not to be close with them and help them through things, but man, and it doesn't mean that if you jab someone on the arm that you're committing illegal sex acts with them. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that you're you're getting you're walking down that line. You're walking down a very precarious line. So just stay on the other side of it as far as you can get. What's wrong with that? Well, how does that hurt anything? Oh. Then things got intimate. What was once a friendly punch to the shoulder became a caressing touch. He would often wrestle me to the ground in response to teasing. I've seen youth pa I've seen many youth pastors do that. His hands ending up at the wrong places. He would splash water on my shirt or push me into the pool. Sounds right. Or the ocean. And then stand and watch as I walked out, laughing and ogling the entire time. Avila, 32, said in an open letter she recently posted on Facebook. This is from her letter, and we'll read her whole letter shortly. Two other alleged victims of Montero, as well as Montero's sister-in-law, Kathy Durbin, also have posted their stories on Facebook, 
Durbin claims to have been sexually abused in her teens by the church's former bus director, who was never reported to police, even though church pastor Bruce Goddard and his wife knew about the allegations. The four women went public with their stories following Montero's July 27th arrest by the Riverside County Sheriff's Department on suspicion of molesting several teenage girls from the church over an 18-year period from 1999 to 2017. They said they hope that by coming forward, any others who have endured similar abuse will be encouraged to come forward as well. Montero, 45, of Colton has been charged with seven felony counts of sexual abuse and is being held on a $225,000 bond at the Coysburg Detention Center in Murrieta. He's been appointed a deputy public defender and is scheduled for arraignment on Thursday, August 16th at the Southwest Justice Center in Murrieta. As you know, we are past that date and uh, he dropped his public defender and got himself an attorney. Um, if you want the name of that attorney, let me know. He is local here in either Temecula or Marietta, and I don't have the name in front of me, but I did look him up a couple nights ago. In September of 2013, Goddard announced to his congregation that Montero was leaving Faith Baptist Church to start a new church in Menifee, Menifee Baptist Church, with longtime Faith Baptist member Pat Cook, Montero's journey of 14 years and a former member of his youth group. Uh, I'm sorry, Montero's junior of 14 years. Uh, Cook has served as a pastor at Menifee Baptist Church since its inception in November of 2013. Montero served as assistant pastor there until October 2016 when he abruptly left the church for undisclosed reasons, Cook said in an interview Thursday at his home. He was supposed to speak at the service that particular Sunday. He came up to me and was crying and said, hey bro, we're out of here, said Pat Cook. He said he asked Montero why he was leaving, but never got an answer. I asked, are you going to come back next Sunday and say goodbye to the church? And he said, nope, you're better with your words. You'll figure something out to say. So that was that. I never got closure on the exact reason why he left. Cook said he started attending Faith Baptist Church in 1998 when he was in sixth grade. When he entered his teen years, he became a member of Montero's youth group. A friendship was forged. Throughout his time at Faith Baptist Church, Cook said he never suspected Montero of anything inappropriate involving female members of his youth group. Yeah, these guys are pretty slick. Or anyone else at the church for that matter. He was one of my bros, one of my closest friends, Cook said. The general consensus is, how do we miss this? We didn't have a clue. Some of Montero's alleged victims say there was another reason for his departure from Faith Baptist in 2013. He was involved in an inappropriate relationship with another church member. Cook said he'd heard rumors about it in 2015 and confronted Goddard about it. Goddard told me he knew of no allegations of immorality against Montero and that he never crossed any lines morally. Cook said, I regret that I never asked Victor about it. I don't think he would have told Pat the truth. Cook said there are no teenagers in his roughly 50-member congregation at Menifee Baptist Church, which operates out of the multi-purpose multi room, that's hard to say, at South Shore Elementary School. The congregation is still growing, but as of now, there is still no youth group. Therefore, Montero had no contact with any teenage girls while serving as assistant pastor at the church from 2013 to 2016. The shock of Montero's arrest prompted Pat Cook to reach out to his congregants and friends on Facebook with his own post. I'll read that to you guys shortly. Since posting the Facebook status update on August 5th, Cook said he was contacted by two other women who also claimed to have been victimized by Montero. Cook said he provided them the number to the Riverside County Sheriff's Detective on the case, Tony Pilato. Those who claim to have been victimized or witnessed questionable conduct, conduct at Faith Baptist Church in Wildemar say the church maintains a culture in which women are marginalized. Yeah, and look, 
all not all IFB because I know good people there, but I'm saying the majority, the consensus, IFB, that's what it is. It marginalizes women. That's putting it lightly. The church, they say, sends a strong message to members not to question its leaders who are referred to as men of God. What did I say? I found that, if anything, the girls were the ones blamed for being inappropriate. It was a girl's fault if something happened to her, Avila said in her Facebook post. She noted one incident in which a female church worker approached her and a group of girls and told them they were being too friendly with Montero and that he was a man of God and they needed to respect his position. Randy Landing, can't even say his name, Randy Landing, who attended Faith Baptist Church for 13 years and graduated from its school, Faith Baptist Academy, knew Victor Montero well. He said he attended the church from 1999 to 2012 and described Montero as an extremely charismatic, as extremely charismatic and well-liked in the church. He was my teacher, he was my mentor, Lanning said in a telephone interview. Victor was always funny, outgoing, and with me personally, we hit it off very well. We did a lot of activities together and did a lot of goofy, stupid videos. He said he never suspected anything out uh, untoward about Montero until the allegations against him surfaced. I can remember very vividly an encounter between him and one of the alleged victims, Lanning said. He said the incident occurred during a winter camp hosted by the church in San Bernardino Mountains in the early 2000s. Montero and the alleged victims were, victim were a little too friendly, playing and rolling around in the snow, gazing in awe at one another, Landing said. I remember vividly seeing the face of the victims thinking, why is this so passionate? And now I know. Landing said it was just pushing and shoving around like light wrestling. That to me was an odd behavior. I remember being suspicious, feeling that something about it wasn't right. While attending Faith Baptist, and by the way, let me pause there just for a second. Uh, Randy's a friend of mine, a friend of the podcast, and I know we could get the wrong impression here of him. You know, well, that looks suspicious on you know, and, and him not saying something. So I want to speak up about that. You're coached and trained from the moment you enter this cult not to ever say a word against the man of God. And by the way, if Randy ever did or said anything against the man of God, he would be ostracized. His family would be ostracized. He would lose everything. And you may look from the outside looking in, everything is going to this cult church that, that harbors pedophiles. Yeah, but that's we don't know that as cult members, and we don't we don't believe that even when we're told that. I'm not saying that Randy doesn't believe now, because clearly he does. But I just want to point out that there's no fault here for Randy for not saying something, because number one, how is he to know? Number two, if he said something, everything's over for him. Number three, if he did say something, he would have gone straight to Victor, and Victor would have said it was no big deal. And by the way... Part of what Victor and these these men do is they treat a lot of people this way, so it becomes normal behavior for them. So it's not weird to to people that see it. While attending Faith Baptist Academy, Lanning said suspicious suspicion arose about a different staff member having an inappropriate relationship with an underage girl. When Goddard was informed, he didn't do anything about it and admonished the the messengers for re, sorry admonished the messengers for reporting their suspicions. I know who that staff member is. I know who that messenger is. And, and it doesn't surprise me that that was the response. Essentially, we shouldn't go about questioning the leadership, the man of God. Questioning the leadership, the man of God, Lanning said. Though they did not scream, shout, and publicize that they oppress women, their actions and how they operate in their culture does oppress women. He said he and his wife decided to leave the church when she became pregnant. It just wasn't an environment we wanted to raise our kids in, Lanning said. There you go. Um... So that, that wraps up that article from the Press Enterprise. And if you want to link to it, there's a little more in it than I got into today. But again, like 
listening to what what people are saying from the inside looking out from the outside looking in all of these all of these testimonies all of everything comes back to it's the man of God so we were taught not to question so I'm gonna I've got three more to read to you and uh, we have something from Bruce Goddard to read as well I want to read from from Pat Cook this one's a little excuse me a little bit shorter but just because he was brought up in the last article I want to read what Pat Cook had to say. I thought it was admirable. I thought it was very well done. Um, Friends who were and are associated with our youth group at FBC Wildemar. I'm guessing many of you have experienced similar feelings as me the past week. You've had a knot in the pit of your stomach, heart racing at times, struggling to even eat. I've only had three bites of my Five Guys burger today. Perhaps you've pinched yourself and said, is this all real? And had moments where you're overwhelmed with raw emotion as you process all this information. You are not alone. Really, it's been a crazy two and a half months since that fateful Saturday afternoon, my wife's birthday too, when I got a call from one of my closest friends on the planet, breaking the news that Victor was a predator and his wife was one of the victims, and, and, and his friend's wife was one of the victims. I will never forget that phone call. I asked if I could tell my wife, and she said yes, and I lost it on the phone with my wife. She was like, are you crying? It hit me that a close friend and a classmate was violated by one of our spiritual leaders, and I never picked up on it. I beat myself up a bit, wishing I had been there for her back in the day, but I realized the past is unchangeable. All we can do now is be there for the other victims who are still holding it all inside. Other victims? Think about it. As long of a period of time as these disgusting acts span, along with 150 to 200 young people in the youth group at a given time, there are bound to be more. And those and those thoughts were cemented in my mind after getting a text Thursday night from another young person saying she was a victim and then hearing of a couple more over the weekend. It was worse than anybody could have imagined. My heart is shattered over all this for the families of the victims, for the Montero crew who I love with all my heart, for the wonderful families I know and love from FBC who are devastated by this news, but most importantly, for any young person who was violated and is a victim. You don't need to carry this burden alone. People have got your back. This particular message is for the victims. For those who have already come forward and shared their stories, we applaud you and we support you. For any other young man or young lady out there who has violated and has read this and is contemplating coming forward with your testimony, we urge you to talk to someone. A ton of people are in your corner and here for you. You are most definitely not alone in this fight. I love you all. That is what a leader has to say. That is what a man who has dedicated his life, who has decided, you know what? I'm here to help people. That That's the response that you should give. Not, this isn't going to law enforcement. Not, I'm going to stick my head in the sand. Not, you're wrong, and even though you're the victim, we're going to accuse you and have someone, have someone to prosecute you if you decide to press charges against the bus director. No, 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 no. That's not the right response. The right response is this. The right response is what I just read. Hey, victims, we're in your corner. We want to help. We're here to take care of you. We're here to help you. We're here to bolster you. We're here to to give you whatever kind of support on whatever level we can. We're here for you. I do like that Pat makes the central statement here about the victims that have come forward and that will continue to come forward. I like that. And you know why I like that? Because the culture I grew up in, the cult that I grew up in, the cult that I'm covering today and have covered time and time again, takes the victim's stories, makes them of no effect, pushes them down and says, you're subhuman for trying to, to to combat the man of God. You are literally satanic in what you're doing because you're coming after the man of God who raped you as a child. That is what they say. 
So good on you, Pat. Uh, well said, very well spoken, very well stated. And you know, I've read it's 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 words on a piece of paper on a screen, um, but it feels like it's from the heart. Uh, when, when in my opinion. So continuing on, I'm, I've got a couple more things to read. We'll start. We're gonna meander around. I'm getting to. Um, I, uh, when I decided to do this episode, I knew there was a lot of reading, not unlike past episodes, but a little bit more than past episodes. And I just, I wasn't sure exactly what I would read or, or I knew what I would read, but in what order or how much of it I would read. And right now I'm kind of debating um, what to read next. What I'm going to read next is uh, April's Story. And this was published on uh, August 1st. This is April Avila. And she starts it with a quote from R.M. Drake and says, And she always had a way with her brokenness. She would take her pieces and make them beautiful. How does one make beauty out of brokenness? How do you take something that's shattered in pieces and create a masterpiece? Is that even possible? I believe it is, but how? It can only be done by taking that which was broken and building something better, giving those broken and remade pieces a purpose. It's beautifully stated. I've been asked several times over the last few months why. Why now? Why after all these years are you coming forward? What do you hope to gain? And by the way, that's a, that's a, that's absolutely true. That's the rhetoric that most of these victims encounter amongst other ridiculous things. There are many answers to that question, but the one that stands out amongst all of them is purpose. If I could take my pain and my hurt and use my experience to protect and prevent even one innocent child from being abused, then I've given a purpose for my broken pieces. Look, I'm going to read the rest of this, but that that encapsulates everything. That's April. Wow, that's so well said. Because it's true, and, and and it's it's a beautiful and not accusatory answer to those that come at these victims. And I I want to copy paste this and send this to every victim because every victim needs to hear this. Like we're not coming, not we. I'm I'm not a victim, but we're not coming. Victims aren't coming out of the woodwork, so to speak, and bringing up these things from 10, 15, 20 years ago to damage or hurt someone. They're bringing them because they are desire a purpose and they desire their life to mean something. And when the things that were taken from these women, and I know men as well, at that age, when that happens to you, I'm not saying that April ever felt like her life was less than purposeful. She's an amazing, incredible human being. But when, when you bring these things forward, you encounter a lot of, well, if you're bringing it up now, how do we know it even happened? That's what you get a lot of. Like how can you can't even prove it? Like it happened so long ago. It, it, why why bring it up now? Why now? And like like she said, like why bring it up now? And we get that all the time. And again, I keep saying we, but I, I I've I've worked with so many victims that I, I it's it's close to my heart, and that's why I say we. So why now? This is the perfect answer. This is such a great answer. Why me? That's a question I've asked myself hundreds of times. I grew up in a great home with a strong family unit. I've always been very close with my father and mother. Every protective measure my parents could have taken was in place. They were involved parents who took time to ask about our days. We talked all the time. My father was a deacon who taught Sunday school. My mom worked in a nursery and was very involved in church. I attended a small private school and my whole life was home and church surrounded by people I knew and trusted. So again, why me? I've come to understand that predators don't always have a reason. What they do, what they do have is opportunity. And the environment of the church I attended created a perfect hunting ground to prey on the innocence of a young girl. 
I don't wish to imply that the people of the church, or even the church itself, was dark and predatory. Some of my best memories were made there. But I will say that the culture of this particular movement has the possibility to create an environment conducive to predatory activity. Again, very well stated. As a young teen, I was trusting, naive, eager to serve, innocent, obedient. All things a good Christian girl should be, and she's right. But also an easy target for a predator, especially when the predator was the youth pastor of the church. A person I thought was fun, was a fun, involved youth pastor, was actually a perverted man grooming his victim. It started early, and it's clear to me now, looking back, that by the end of my eighth grade year, I was his target. Touching, excuse me, and pulling my hair, using a pet name, giving me extra attention, calling me out for projects, this is how the grooming began. And while it meant a lot to a socially awkward, insecure eighth grade girl to be special, in my innocence and naivety, I had no concept that this special attention could be anything other than Brother Victor just being a youth pastor. By the way, I just have to bring it up again because I was talking to a friend of mine about it yesterday. Um, we're on our way uh, to to, uh, to an event and we talked about how I wouldn't necessarily call it a perfect storm, but when you've got... Uh, when you've got teenage girls who are looking for acceptance, who have been denied it for so long, not saying April was, I'm just saying, especially she, she most definitely wasn't. She got it from her family. But when you've been, you know, denied acceptance, or like, like she said, like you're, 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 um, you'll do whatever you're told. You're very obedient, all that sort of thing. And then you add to the mix a man who has, and I'm not saying this is a, a youth pastor type. But you put a man in a position of authority where he's not to be questioned. There is no excuse for any action or deed that he does. But you've created, like she's saying, you've created an environment where this kind of thing will happen. And I'm just going to spitball for a second. Another problem that I have with so many IFP congregations, not all of them. There's one uh, that I'm, I'm uh, considering attending soon where women are allowed to be in positions of leadership. I don't mean a Sunday school teacher. I mean, a female youth pastor. I'm not saying things wouldn't go wrong. I'm not saying that she wouldn't turn out to do uh, the things that Victor did. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, why don't you have them? Makes more sense to me. Her, she, She's a mother or, 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 or will be soon or even if she hasn't, she's gone through her teenage years. She knows what that's like from personal experience. Doesn't it make more sense for her to be the youth pastor? But by the way, Women are not allowed in positions of leadership within within most IFB circles. They're just not. Again, it makes a better situation for the predator, easier. But as I began to get older and spend more time in the teen department and with Victor Montero's family, his friendly attention escalated. What was once a friendly punch to the shoulder, we read this in the article, became a caressing touch. He would often wrestle me to the ground in response to teasing, his hands ending up in the wrong places. He'd splash water on my shirt or push me into the pool or the ocean, and then stand and watch as I walked out, laughing and ogling the entire time. At teen activities, he would ride a jet ski or a dirt bike with me, sitting behind him and holding on to him. Once he tossed a live lizard down my shirt and watched and laughed as I tried to frantically and modestly retrieve it from inside my bra, that incident was extremely embarrassing to me, but Victor turned it around and made it a private joke between us about giving me, often giving me lizard mementos. That, look, oh man, that that's that is class A grooming. Like that's absolutely what it is. Giving her, I don't know, I don't know what. I haven't talked to her about this specifically, but 
you know, a notepad or a stuffed animal or 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 a paperweight that's a, that's a lizard like that. That's that is something that you do. That is something. In a, how would you do that normally? That's something you do if you're dating someone and you have a special shared memory. You give them things around that. As a youth pastor, you don't do that with your teenagers, no matter the gender. Don't don't do that. What in the world? While many of these incidents made me feel uncomfortable and just didn't feel right, most happened at teen activities, Saturday, Saturday visitation, camps, or on church property, all public places, and sometimes in front of other teens and workers. The way he treated girls, not just me, he felt, yeah, the way he treated girls felt like an open secret, absolutely. This would often mess with my mind because it felt so open, and I knew it didn't feel right, but no one stepped in to stop it. This then made me question if I was just imagining the inappropriate touches because someone would have stopped it if it was wrong, right? It's, it, it, it will mess with your mind. And yes, I've, I've seen that type of behavior. I went to this church. It was absolutely inappropriate, but you don't second guess it. You leave it alone. And like I said uh, not long ago, he makes it. Again, she's, she's saying the same thing. He did it around people, and he did it with many of the girls. So... It makes it seem like it's normal behavior, and you just think to yourself, well, I must be crazy because he's the man of God. He would never do anything inappropriate. But I found that, if anything, the girls were the ones blamed for being inappropriate. One memory I recall is a female worker approaching me, as we read in the article, and a group of girls informing us that we were being too friendly with Brother Victor, that he was the man of God, and that we needed to respect his position. As far as I'm aware, nothing was said to Victor. Yeah, because he's never at fault. As time went on, the abuse escalated. I realized this is an open letter, and I don't want to be crude or gross, but I do wish people to understand that in no way, shape, or form can what Victor Montero inflicted on me be misconstrued as anything but sexual abuse. By ninth grade, he was touching and groping me on my breasts and private area whenever he could find an opportunity. Many times he would ask me to stay late to sweep a bus after an activity or to fold tracks in his office. He had a huge solid wood door in his office. I would be sitting there folding tracks as I was asked and he would shut the door. That's how he did things. He would isolate me, then abuse me. He would often use his family as a front, abusing me in his own home as I helped his wife and children. He would show me obscene videos and explicitly tell me how I turned him on and aroused him. The abuse was both physical and mental. He would tell me that I was special to him and that he would run away with me if he could. Then he would flip and tell me that no man would ever want me and would use my physical features, or lack thereof, in his opinion, as ammunition to tear me down. He would often use biblical references or church rules to justify what he was doing and then, at the same time, shame me. For four years, I lived in a confused limbo. Easygoing, class clown April on the outside, yeah, but dying on the inside. Many nights I would cry myself to sleep because a particular incident was so traumatizing. Some nights the anxiety would get so bad I couldn't sleep. I lived in a constant state of mental turmoil. Outside I smiled and was happy, but inside I was broke to pieces, broken to pieces. I was shamed by the same man who I was told to respect and honor as a leader. I felt dirty, but I had to sit and listen to an abuser preach that purity was a covenant with God. I felt wicked. I had never asked for this to happen to me, yet I would hear over and over things like, that which is advertised is desired. That which is beautiful and revealed draws a touch. It was a girl's fault if something happened to her. I felt that I must have done something wrong Excuse me for all this to happen to me. I felt betrayed. This was the man of God, a hero, a role model, yet he took advantage of me. 
I felt worthless. I would hear from the pulpit, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And I would wait and wait, literally hoping that something bad would happen to me, just so I could know that God actually loved me. But nothing ever changed. And I began to wonder if God did love me, or even cared about me, or what I was going through. Four years, my entire high school. The sexual abuse continued and continued until I was able to escape to college out of state. For the first time in years, the abuse stopped. Even the homesickness from being so far away from my family was a welcome retreat. I didn't stop. It didn't stop after I went to college, though. Texts and notes came often, but at that point, with a distance to help, I was finally able to break free. A year after my freshman year at college, it finally ceased forever. Even though it finally stopped, the truth is the scars never went away. They don't. The mental anguish continues to this day. It gets tucked away, sometimes for days, weeks, maybe even a year, but it's always there, right under the surface. Certain things bring it to the forefront, like finding out I was expecting I would have constant nightmares and even panic attacks because I was so scared that I would not be able to protect my own child one day. The mental battles happen daily, the fight to feel whole, to feel worthy, to feel that I have a purpose. I don't know if these things will ever go away, but I can say they've made me stronger, and I truly hope that by opening up my soul to you, sharing my deepest hurts, showing you and showing you my pain, I can help you. Maybe by helping you, I can help protect a child from going through what I went through. Maybe you can have your own hurt buried deep. Maybe you can ha maybe you have your own hurt buried deep and through this you can find your healing and maybe by helping you I can mend my broken pieces and not only make them useful but also make them beautiful. That is April Heck Avila's story. And I know April personally, she's a friend and um I know there will be times and things that'll come come either from this podcast or from other statements I may make and, and I've had people oppose me when it comes to how I feel about these things. Um, and again, it's not, not generally in a public forum, it's generally in a in a private message, which is very telling because they don't want they don't want they don't want people to know that they support these men and they do. At any rate, uh, I'll stand by April on her statement. I don't know what that matters, but for what it's worth, I'll stand by April and that was such a brave statement and I'm so um, I'm, as much as it's painful and, and, and I just can't imagine uh, how painful it is I'm so proud of April and so happy that um, she's she's stood up to this menace and has come forward and I just I don't know I, I'm not doing great with my words right now but just wanted to say to, you know to any other victims and most especially to April you guys are brave and you're incredible, and um, it's it's amazing that you've that you've had the fortitude to come forward and say your piece. I, I admire that t incredibly. So there is another uh, post that April put up, and I do again because it's part of uh, who she is and what she wants to say. I do want to read that. Please understand, abuse can happen to anyone. No one is excluded from from abuse. It doesn't matter your family dynamic your social standing your spiritual level male or female abuse can happen to anyone please understand abuse can happen anywhere church friends home school family members home camps do not feel that any environment is 100 percent safe ask questions does the church full on school family sports team have policies and procedures in place to protect children by the way most ifp churches they don't do background checks or they'll tell you they do and they're not really a background check so keep an eye out on that. Please understand abuse can happen, can come from anyone, male or female, teacher, pastor, family member, 
trusted friend. Anyone can be an abuser. Please understand, no one deserves your absolute trust or loyalty when it comes to your children. Pastor, teacher, family member, doctor, police, no position ever deserves that absolute trust. Be on the lookout for red flags. Does this person spend the majority of their time with adolescents rather than their peers? Does this person favor one child above the rest? Are they crossing adult child boundaries? Is there camaraderie only between them and the child that excludes others, especially the parents? Is the child often claimed by this person as their favorite or separated from the group for special projects or attention? Pet names, excessive gift giving, texting, overly affectionate, commenting on personal, commenting on personal appearance? Speak up. Please speak up. If you feel that someone is overstepping boundaries, confront them. Make sure it is taken care of properly. Don't just trust that the higher authority will deal with it. It is often wise to bring it up to multiple authorities. Absolutely right. You're not out of your place, especially if it's your child. I don't know if that's what you're saying, if it's your child or in general, but either way. There is no one in any position of authority that you do not have the right to confront. There must be accountability. We are all responsible for protecting all of our children. Listen to your kids. If a child tells you something, believe them. Please believe them. Every child should know that no authority figure, figure's world holds more weight than their own world. Listen. Let them talk to you. Out, talk with you. Sorry, I'm, I'm having trouble here. Let them talk without you acting horrified. They need to feel safe. They need to know that you love them no matter what has happened to them. They need you to be strong for them. Do not use language like, are you sure? Or, or I'm sure you took that wrongly. Or the worst that someone... Um, or the worst that someone is innocent until proven guilty. Inform your children. Think with the mindset of when a predator approaches my child, not if. When a predator approaches my child, not if a predator approaches my child. This mindset I learned completely changed the way that I look at training. If leaves a possibility that the situation will never happen, whereas when is an absolute and changes our total outlook and preparedness. What she's saying is really... It makes sense it makes sense to me right now a lot a predator is looking for an uninformed child the greatest power you can give your child is knowledge on how to act when it happens naivety and innocence are often confused with one another we need to strive to protect our children's innocence but keep our children naive uh, keeping our children naive is setting them up for harm talk about predators with your child talk about proper touch and boundaries Keep an open dialogue about sex. Yes, keep it age-appropriate, but do not leave your child in the dark. So true. A child should be able to recognize inappropriate behavior. If someone's behavior is making your child uncomfortable, listen to your children. She makes such a good point um, with talking about proper touch boundaries and keeping an open dialogue about sex. The reason that I'm pointing that out is because when you grow up in a cult, not unlike the IFB, What's going to happen to you, at least in, in my experience, is you get no sexual education. So even when someone's abusing you, you don't know what's happening. Well, adult women, I've read adult women's stories that have said, as an adult, I was abused and I did not know what was happening because I didn't know what sex was. It's this mystical thing in the IFB circles. I've talked about it before and I'll be brief, but it's this thing that when you get married, you get to do it and it's so amazing and incredible and awesome and, 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 and it's this incredible bond between man and woman and solidifies you as who you are as a married couple. But up until the day before you're married, or up until the day you're married, sorry, you cannot do it. 
So why would you learn about it? Why would you know anything about it? And look, let's be real. As a parent, that's not a conversation that you're like, man, I can't wait to talk to my kids about the birds and the bees. I mean, maybe there are people out there that, that I don't know, but I, I doubt that anyone out there is just can't wait for that opportunity. So again, not to knock anyone's parents, mine included, it kind of gets you off the hook because you don't have to talk about it. And here's the progression. You don't have to talk about it at all, ever. You don't. Even when your kids bring you things and they're like, I don't know what's going on with my body. Can you talk to me about it? Well, no. You, you, you find some way out of it. And then the only time that you find out about sex is you get given the five love languages, maybe if you're lucky, or Bob Hooker's book on marriage, or Dating with a Purpose. I would hope no one's giving those out anymore by Jack Scopp. Just shortly before you get married. And then you read still very vague things, not five love languages, but any IFB book. You're still reading very vague things about sex. And what you are reading about sex is all wrong. You're not reading things about how to please your partner unless you're a woman and it's only important that you please the man. Like, I'm not going to get into this too much here, but I'm just saying if you're reading an IFB laced book, you're not getting great sex ed. It's just not happening. So what April's saying is very important, not at five years old start telling your kids about sex, but have an open conversation. Let them say that they feel weird in the part of their body or whatever it is. And don't like April's saying, don't be all shocked and don't be all, oh, oh, don't say, no. Let them talk their children. They don't understand these boundaries yet. You've got to help them understand that. Lastly, live with awareness, not fearfulness. Parents, teachers, and those who work with youth, we are child's best line of defense against predators, but this responsibility can feel overwhelming at times. Please do not allow what I say to paralyze you with fear. Instead, let it motivate you to be more aware of your surroundings and the people around you. Let it motivate you to ask questions and seek the truth. Let it motivate you to know better so you can do better. I wish to say that I'm not an expert or professional on this subject. These are just a few of my personal thoughts written from my own experience that I hope will help someone. She ends it with a heart. That's great. And once again, uh, just I don't know if she'll see this episode or not, but April, thank you for sharing that. That's, it's terrific. And it's, and yeah, okay, I'm not an expert or licensed, whatever that, but it happened to you, to, to April. So for someone who it happened to, to speak to it, I think it's worth all of us listening and paying attention. All right. A little more reading, a little more reading. We're getting there. And I, 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 to the victims whose stories I'm reading, I hope you don't feel like I feel this is arduous. I just want to express to the listeners that um, these are important for us to read, but it can feel at times that this guy's just just sitting here reading stuff on Facebook, which right now that's what I'm doing, a little bit of commentating, a lot of reading. So um, if that's boring you or you're over it, I get it, um, but the victim's stories need to be told. I'm going to read you an open letter from, and these have all been open letters, or at least public information. An open letter from Jackie Heck. In November 2017, my daughter April shared with her dad something that she had kept secret for a long time, that her former youth pastor, Victor Montero, had molested her from the time she was in junior high through high school. Victor served for many years as the youth pastor at Faith Baptist Church in Wilmar, California, under the leadership of Bruce Goddard. At this time, April knew of no other victims and did not want to go public, but asked her dad to inform Pastor Goddard. April emphasized that she did not want Victor to be recommended to any ministry involving minors, and if he was, that she would not hesitate to go public. It took my husband nearly three weeks to get an appointment with Pastor Goddard, and only after my husband emphasized the seriousness of the situation 
In that meeting with Pastor Goddard, my husband told him everything April wished to express, including very specific details of the abuse our daughter endured, details that could not, should not be easily forgotten. Pastor Goddard told my husband to call the police. He relayed to Pastor that through April, that although April did not know any of the other of any other victims, she said it was highly likely that there were more victims, especially given the fact that Victor was let go after admitting he had spent time alone with a college-aged girl. My husband explained to Pastor that April had done some preliminary research, and given the length of time and lack lack of any real evidence, it was unlikely that any charges would be filed. However, this did not preclude Pastor from calling the police, which he did in less than 24 hours after he was told that April decided to go public. Pastor told told my husband that um, that he thought it should be brought before the deacons. My husband agreed, but asked that April be allowed to remain anonymous. As far as we know, it was never brought to the deacons. After hearing there were other alleged victims in May 2018, April informed us that she had contacted a lawyer to look into filing a case against Victor. April's goal at this time was that Victor be made accountable for his actions and prevented from hurting other young girls. She hoped that a positive change would be made in the church culture to prevent this from continuing to happen. April and her attorney agreed to approach Pastor Goddard to see if and the church, if he and the church would be willing to partner with the victim. April, uh, victim April, on a united front in going to the authorities to file a complaint against Victor. April's attorney uh, messaged Pastor, asking Pastor if he would uh, take a call from him. Pastor replied he would not. And she has a copy of the text messages. On Memorial Day, Pastor and my husband rode to church together, and my husband informed Pastor of April's decision to pursue a case against Victor. Pastor came over that evening. A very concerned Pastor walked through the door. He said how sorry he was that this had happened to April, that he was having difficulty believing how something like this could even have happened. He asked if there was anything he could do to make this right. My husband suggested to Pastor that it would be nice if he reached out to our daughter. To date, Pastor has made no effort to contact April. He said he did say to our to my husband at the November meeting if April wants to have if April wants to have her give me a call. Uh, if April wants to have me give her a call. Yeah. All right. He's, again, making no effort there. May I remind you that with pastor show of emotion this was not the first time hearing this nothing new was revealed about april's accusations of abuse that he had been told six months previously before pastor left he asked him to he asked before pastor left we asked him sorry I'm, <laughs> i've been reading from the screen too long we asked him not to tell anyone for the sake of the investigation by the way by the way that's how this works that's the law once an investigation has begun, and it had, and he and, and Pastor Goddard was aware of it, you don't talk to anyone about it. It's an open investigation. And may I admonish those of you who are, you know, wanting more information or think, you know, it's a good idea to reach out to the victim and ask them a bunch of questions, don't be upset. And I'm not saying you do you, but don't be upset when they don't answer you at all or give you a real basic answer. They're doing what the police have told them to do so the police can do their job. When you get a bunch more stories out there, a bunch of stuff gets convoluted, the police need to keep everything in order. On Wednesday of that same week, May 30th, Pastor came by after church. I'm sorry, I read that already. Uh, did I? No. 
pastor's demeanor was quite different. He told us that he went to the police on Tuesday. He told us that he had wished April would have come to him first. This is May of this year. They did come to him first in November. He told us that he had wished April would have come to him first. Pastor told us that April's lawyer had messaged him. At this point, Pastor went into a lengthy dialogue of the evils of attorney <laughs> that his, Pastor's attorney, said. Yeah. So attorneys are evil unless they're my attorney. If they're my attorney, it's not evil. But if it's your attorney, you're the victim, they're evil. So April, a victim, is criticized for contacting an attorney, but it's okay for a pastor? Why did Pastor feel the need to call a lawyer? Pastor then mentioned that he spoke with Victor. He told us what a broken man he was, that his life was ruined, implying hadn't April done enough damage? Then Pastor let slip that he told Victor that April was the one making the allegations against him. That's, I mean, I don't, that's all the strikes, but that's two big ones right there. They said, this is an ongoing investigation. Please do not share this with anyone. Number one, he shared it. Number two, he gave the victim's name. That makes no, in no universe does that make any sense. I guess Pastor finds it needful to reach out to the person accused of such appalling actions, but not the very person injured. Again, it's the rape culture. Before Pastor left, he made an odd request that he hoped that after being our pastor and friend for over 30 years, that we would trust and support his handling of the matter. Wow. We assured Pastor that we were 100% on our daughter's side. There have been some accusations regarding a former, I'm sorry, on Friday, June 2nd, my husband received an email on his Faith Baptist account that was sent to teachers and staff. The entire email was disheartening, but I will highlight two excerpts. There have been some accusations regarding a former staff member, Victor. These accusations have not come straight to me, so my information is very limited. Not true. They appear to be over a decade old and not involving sex, but inappropriate enough to involve an attorney. Could you be more cryptic? What? Not involving sex but needing an attorney and having to do with 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 the youth pastor? What was he doing? Slashing people's tires? Like, what are you talking about? There's a reason it's so veiled. And you're not required to talk about these matters, even to law enforcement. Are you... Are you... Are you telling your staff members not to go to the police? Because that's what that sounds like to me. Are you a crazy person? If I understand correctly, you are free to simply say you do not want to comment on anything. Even arrested, we have that right. Sure. Sure we do. But why would you not cooperate with law enforcement? I'm not saying go all in. Well, I'll tell you what, there was a dragon out here spitting fire and, I'm, and the devil. No, I'm not saying you don't, you don't need to go nuts and make up a bunch of stuff. But you can tell the police what you know. All right, I'm literally spasming. Right, you can't see it, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm having a, a muscle spasm right now. This is ridiculous. I took this email to read. There was no sex involved, so what's the big deal? I find it interesting that Pastor, we're back to uh, Jackie's statement, can remember this detail, which is accurate, when he claimed he had forgotten the November meeting entirely. Also, to encourage staff, i.e., strongly suggest. <clears throat> that they are not required to cooperate with law enforcement is tragic. After Pastor became, became aware that my husband had received this email, his account was deleted, even though my husband was still chairman of the deacon board and a substitute adult teacher at the time. One week later, Mrs. Goddard came over. She said she was sorry this happened to April. By the way, that's, that's how these always seem to start. Well, so sorry this happened to your daughter. If you're sorry, do something about it. To April, but wondered, why did she wait so long? 
She said, you know, a lot of innocent people will be hurt by April doing this. I hope April understands that this is going to hurt the cause of Christ. God, they say that all the time. Does she realize how hard this has been on Pastor? He's been so sick to his stomach. In less than six years, now, now we're breaking back into what Jackie's saying. In less than six years, I have lost five family members, meaning they passed away, and came too close to losing a granddaughter. But in over 30 years of attending Faith Baptist Church, this was the first and only time Mrs. Goddard, the pastor's wife, spent this amount of time with me. Upon reflection, I believe the purpose of her visit was damage control. How very sad. And that's exactly what it was. Exactly what it was. On Sunday, June 17th, there was a pullout meeting in Spanish Chapel. I would like to, have, I would like to make a clarification regarding the letter Pastor mentioned. While we were on vacation, Pastor messaged uh, my husband asking him to send a text or email the details of the November meeting because Pastor was having trouble remembering. During the call, my husband informed Pastor that he decided to step down from being a deacon. Two days later, my husband emailed Pastor a detailed summary of the November meeting per his request. When Pastor said he received a, a letter from the victim's father, he implied that the father had sent an unsolicited letter to show his support of how Pastor was handling the situation. It's all in how you spin it, right? He focused on the statement that he told the father of the victim to call the police and that the father of the victim asked him, Pastor, not to call the police. That simply is not true. Small details omitted that give a completely different impression of the events that took place. In conclusion, if April had been the only victim, the way Pastor and Mrs. Goddard handled this matter was unacceptable. And my husband and I feel we can no longer attend Faith Baptist Church, Jackie Heck. Now look, say what you will, say what you want, and you may not understand this fully, and I, I get it, okay? That's a very brave letter. In her statement, she talked about, I want to say 30-some years they were at that church. They're all kinds of wrapped up in that church. They've given their heart and soul and family to that church. And that church has absolutely betrayed them. Okay, maybe not the church. Let me back that up at least the pastor at the very least. And to be brave enough to say, you know what? And, and look, from the outside looking in, you would say, yeah, of course they're going to leave. Like, duh. Like, that's, that's, of course that's what you're going to do. That makes perfect sense. Understand from the inside looking out, that's incredibly scary. To write that letter, to make it public, and to say, we can't go to this church anymore, that's huge. That's That may not feel like anything to some people, but to those of you that understand you know how incredibly huge that is. So bravo to Jackie Heck for saying what she had to say, for bringing all that up, the, the entire family, um, for for being so resilient in all of this. Here's the thing, and, 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 and we're, almost done, we're almost done with me reading and the podcast as well. But here's what I want to come down to. Um, come down to having a drink. Not alcoholic, by the way, so uh, another dry cast for you. It's too early in the day. Um, there's been no statement I get it there's a deacon board there's a, a, a current pastoral staff and you know youth pastor um, school principal whatnot. so there are other people to talk to at, at Faith Baptist Church but Bruce Goddard runs the show okay this is this is not just a hierarchy this is a um, oh what's the word I'm looking for now it escapes my mind it's definitely not a democracy. Um, it's it's dynasty's not. 
Help me. I wish I had someone next to me right now. <laughs> I gotta bring guests back. But this guy runs the show. He'll pawn things off and all well, the finances are this guy and the youth department is, yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. But any institution you look at that is run in this fashion has one guy at the very top and he speaks for everyone whether he likes it or not. Everything rises and falls on leadership? Cool. But when you're the pastor of an independent fundamental Baptist church, it is all on you. I don't say that as being accusatory. I don't say that as, as uh, someone from the outside looking in. I say that from being an assistant pastor myself. I say that from growing up with a dad as a pastor my whole life. My dad's still a, not IFB, but my dad's still a pastor. It rises, the, the statement rises in about everything rising and falling on leadership is nowhere more apparent than it is in an independent fundamental Baptist church. These guys want all the, look, oh my God, listen to five minutes of any sermon from Bruce Goddard or any, any other uh, uh, KJV only, my wife doesn't wear pants, IFB, you know, uh, Bible Thump and Baptist, and you will, okay, not all of them, not all of them, but generally, anyone that's associated with Hiles Anderson College, goes and speaks there, is from there, still, still thinks that that's a good place. 10 minutes, give 10 minutes of their sermon, usually at the beginning, you will be able to find either a 10 minute span or at least 10 minutes in where they're telling you how great their ministry is. It's, it's fine, who cares? How great their ministry is, how many people they had saved this week, all their numbers, numbers, it is all about numbers. And I was trained my whole life to say, it's not about numbers. I'll find the Bible somewhere and show it to you again with the 25,000 and 2005 that Jack Scott had printed out for us. It's all about numbers. It's all about how great they are. It's all about how incredible they are. It's all about the sacrifices they make to keep this church going. It's all about all the soul winning they do and door-to-door -door knocking and, and all the persecution they go through and all the blogs they write and all the sermons they preach and all the PowerPoints they make and how great they are as your pastor. Until something like this happens. And then they don't know. They don't remember meetings where the victim's parents came and, 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 and told them the story. They can't figure out uh, uh, how this could have happened, and, and they're upset that it happened, but, but their youth pastor, they're going to be on their side, or they're going to move them to another state. They're going to protect them. It rises and falls on them, and they're this, this uh, fearless leader, unless you're John Francis, the earless leader, the fearless leader through everything until some accusations come out about them or one of their staff, and then they have no idea what in the hell is going on, and they have no idea about these stories that are coming out and they have no idea about conversations and text messages and phone calls and emails that came straight to them. They have no idea. Suddenly they're lost. This is rampant, guys. This isn't just one church in Southern California. This is the IFB the world over. So, here, here's, here's, my, here's my contention, okay? I'm not saying that this pastor has not said anything from the pulpit. I'm certain he has. In fact, um... <laughs> One of, one of my friends that I've been talking with that went to, that went to the school, that went to the church, that, um, uh, that, that's still a pastor himself, has told me uh, that this pastor is, has pointed him out directly from the pulpit as uh, you know, pretty, pretty much a reprobate due to his attire, due to his, um, his preference for facial hair. He can grow a lot more than I can with this little, little bit. So I have no doubt that this pastor has said things from the pulpit in regards to this exact situation. 
but I'm not going to that church anytime soon to see what he's saying, and I'm certain I would not be welcome on that campus, and I don't blame them for that. Nevertheless, this pastor has a blog. And so I thought, well, you know, I can't go to the church, and every news report I read says that, you know, he's... Re he's and look, I, I, look, he should make a statement, but I understand not answering. I'm sure his phone is blowing up. I understand not answering every phone call. I get I really do, okay? But you got to make a statement. You've got to say something. You, you look. Look at the statement Pat made. Terrific statement. Great. Incredible. Why couldn't this pastor do that? I, I don't know. Look, but here's, here's, again, here's my thought. I'm not going to be there at church. He's not going to send me a text message. Well, maybe he will after this. I don't know. But he has a blog. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe at least he's alluded to this or, or, or at, I mean, at, at, at the least alluded to it. At best, maybe he wrote a whole blog and said, hey, look, we've got, I've got this blog platform. You can see it. I'll post it on Facebook. And, you know, I'm not ready to make a statement to the press. You see all of this. And, uh, you know, the church, it's just a really crazy time. But here's what I have to say about everything. I, I went to the blog thinking maybe I would find that. And maybe in the coming days he will. And I get it. Victor is, is had his arraignment this week, and uh, in September next month he's he's scheduled for trial, and he's got his attorney. So I understand staying out of it to an extent, but you've got to make a statement, and it's got to be public, and it's got to be shareable. That's how this all works. That's how it goes down. You want to be above reproach? You want to work really hard at being a good Christian? Show it to us. So I went to the blog, and I thought maybe I'll get some answers from the blog. You notice I'm using vocal inflections like a pastor. Sorry. So, Victor Montero was picked up on the 27th of July. And this man knew about it long before that. But I have no doubt. No doubt. Like, I would bet you anything and everything that he knew the day of that it was happening. And if he didn't know that it was happening, before the day was over, he knew it happened. So, the day of, uh, either it's either, um, okay, so it's at midnight, the day of looks like. His blog was titled "A Heart Issue," heart issue, and I'm just I'm just going to read some ex excerpts from the blog because, excuse me. To me, this speaks to the cognitive dissonance that we've talked about before, and to the fact that when these kind of things happen, people tend to stick their head in the sand or say, either you know, oh, he's not wrong, or if he is wrong, I don't have anything to say about it. Meaning Victor Montero, seven twenty-seven. 2018. If you ask our Christian school children questions about doctrine or life, most of them know the correct answers. Although, once they finish high school, they sometimes do dumb things. The issue is not a head issue. It is a heart... What did I say? Heart problem. Heart issue. It's the same... I said that at the beginning of the podcast. It's a heart problem. Many years ago, we had a young lady attending our church who knew an amazing amount of Bible. Sadly, her life was a contradiction to all the truths her head possessed. Sometimes I wondered if she was even saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10.10. 10. The head knowledge is not what saves someone from hell. Now look, there's lots of excuses to be made, and I get it. I'm there. I'm with you. But the all just capsulate all this, okay? The family's involved. The girl's involved. April Heck is involved. April Heck is involved. Her family's involved. He's locked up. You posted this about some 
girl that graduated from your Christians or, or went, uh, uh, what is what you say here, had a young lady attending our church. She knew a lot of Bible, but her life was a contradiction. Here's the thing, man. You can edit blogs. And if someone, if, if, if this pastor or someone else wants to say, well, well, he's not talking about April. Cool. Then say that. I'm not talking about April. Or guess what? You write a lot of blogs, man. Just take this one off or take this part of the, this off. This whole blog can work just fine without that detail. Why leave that detail? Why post it on the day that Victor was arrested? I'll tell you why. He's victim shaming. Go ahead. Tell me he's not. That's fine. I know a lot of people want to tell me he's not. I'm all good and fine with that, but that's not the case. If that was the case, there would be no story the same day Victor was arrested. There'd be no story on his blog about a girl. There just wouldn't be. Moving on. Others. July 28th, the very next day. Again, it's a lengthy blog. It is at fbcwildermark.org slash blog. Check it out. Feel free to read more. This blog talks about all kinds of things from the airport to packs of pirate. What I'm focusing on is smack dab in the middle of the blog, he makes a statement that says, Christianity must be built upon making others look good rather than ourselves. There's a lot more to it. There's a lot of other things he's saying. He's saying to put others first. He's saying if you're in line at the store, you should let someone go ahead of you. That's all good and fine. That statement is very important for me during this time. This is the 28th. Victor's arrested. This guy knows about all the charges. He knows April came forward. He's known that for a long time. He knows other girls are coming forward. He knows this. But he still chooses to put this on his blog the next day. Make others look good rather than ourselves. What others? Who do I need to make look good? I don't need to make anyone look good. What is that? What is that? Making someone else look good? Like, I understand you got a boss and, and you'll get kicked back or whatever if you do really well, but, you know, you let him get... Yeah, yeah, that's one thing. Yeah, that's not what he's talking about. It's all about Christianity. Christianity is about... I'm reading. It's about making other people look good. Yeah, Stuart's taking it out of context. Sure, whatever. Say what you want. He said it. Christianity is about making other people look good. The people that are locked up, the people that are accused, it's certainly not about making the victims look good, or he would have reached out to the victim. Moving along. August 9th. Just an excerpt. All of our leaders have been, this, this one is titled, Trying Setting Our Course. All of our leaders have been and are imperfect people. I agree. But each person is solid. I don't agree. Tested by time and worthy of our loyalty. Gonna get into some loyalty, guys. I'm gonna bring some Brother Ray back for you. We had watched we had watched their lives, our leaders, and we knew them, as Paul said, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, charity, patience. They earned our trust. They had earned our trust. We had watched these men long enough to lean on their wisdom and their course for life. Obviously, this second one could not violate the first and primary base for all faith and practice, the Bible. Now, after these many years, we have also tested their instruction and found it to be solid and trustworthy in our world as well. Today, it seems that many people are being taught to avoid loyalty and to shun doing things because some hero said it was the direction to follow. Like Jack Hiles. Whether it be the slander of Jefferson, so he's, okay, by the way, he's about to compare IFB leaders Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. Do with that as you will. 
or the demeaning of good people around us today. Loyalty is under attack. Much of the Bible teaches us to find wise and proven leaders and to follow them. Try reading Proverbs without noticing the instruction of hearing the words of the wise in other similar directions. This truth is constantly under attack by satanic assailants. Man, we sound scary, don't we, guys? Their cry is, do not follow men. And yet the man who says it wants you to follow him. There's some truth there. There's absolutely a lot of online gurus that tell you, you know, be your own person, do your own thing, but they want you to buy their book. I, I get that. I, I get that truth. Absolutely. I've followed a few of them. I still follow a few of them. But here's the thing. You, every, you, you this isn't, there's no free pass. You've had your chance to speak out and say your piece about the pedophile that was at your ministry, and you haven't. So everything you say on your public blog is painted in that light, and now you're saying, gotta trust our godly leaders. Which ones? Jack Scott? Because he came to your church a lot. Which ones? Victor Montero? Your youth pastor? Which ones? Which ones? Cameron Giovanelli? Which ones do we trust? All right. Next blog, trying, setting our course. Oh, I wanted to read a little bit at the bottom of that one. And that one's from August 9th. My roots were set in a Baptist church in Redding, California and in Hammond, Indiana. Well, there's your problem. Some people may know nothing of these two churches, but it is in these two places my life was changed. My course was set and I learned truths upon which I base my life today. And I have found them true over and over again. I think it's just as good for another person to lock his loyalty to his church or even college if it stands by the word of God. Yes, but does it stand by pedophiles? That's the important thing. All right, where is your song? So this is an excerpt from a blog on August 16th. Uh, just a few days ago. Praying for help with my lack of faith brings God near. It also humbles me. What kind of Christian am I if this trial, if a trial makes me act as if there is no God or as if my God is weak and helpless or unloving toward his children? When I confess, praise, express thanks, and search the scriptures, then mercy comes. That is a lot of work for mercy. Doesn't sound like, that's a lot of, that doesn't sound like mercy. Mercy to me sounds like something that is given out freely. Not all this work. Anyways, and faith is given by the loving Father. Doubt, fear, and worry are all condemned in the Bible. Yeah, much like mental illnesses that you would bore into people's heads to rid them of. You guys are still using the same stuff. Except to fear God. That is healthy. Nope. Acknowledge, confess, and ask for help to conquer doubt, fear, and worry. Seek the scriptures to fill you with strength and faith to go on in a godly manner. I don't have a whole lot to say about that, but here's one thing I will say for sure. When I have a legitimate crisis and I and I have a real problem and let's say I'm struggling with some type of an addiction, alcohol, pornography, whatever it is, let's say I'm struggling with that, I can promise you, your IFP pastor, for the most part, your IFP pastor's advice is going to be, at least this pastor's advice, read your Bible more, make sure you're here, you should probably get more involved in Sunday school. Who's your Sunday school teacher? No, well, I don't go to Sunday school. Well, why aren't you going to Sunday school? There's your problem. Make sure your budget's in order. Make sure your books are in order. Make sure you're here every single service. Well, I, look, man, I, I got to work. I got to work on Wednesday. It doesn't matter. Tell them that you can't work there anymore. I promise you you're going to hear this rhetoric. So uh, that's a whole other subject. But anyways, bringing it all down, bringing it all in, um, 
This stuff is crazy. We're going to keep talking about it. And um, I don't intend... My, my, not unlike many victims have said, April herself included, my goal is I'm not here to to ruin a ministry. That's what this is going to be painted as, I have no doubt. This, this is going to be shared, talked about. Uh, maybe I'll get a meme or two out of it. I don't know. Would this be, let's do a good freeze frame for a meme. Um, that'd be a good one. Go for that one, guys. Just You can just screenshot it and then put text above and below. If you need help, let me know. I'll send you uh, the app to use or just tell me what text you want. I'll put it on there. But um, my goal is not to destroy a ministry. My goal is to tell the truth. My goal is for these victims to have their stories told. My goal is for these victims is for is for not new victims, but victims that that whether it's happening to now or happened to previously, to see other victims stand up and say, "Man, okay, if they can do it, I can do it." That's the goal here. Our goal is not trying to destroy someone's ministry, bring someone down, uh, get someone locked up. Uh, 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 put a church into bankruptcy. If that happens, it happens, and that's your fault for being a terrible person, for being a bad leader, for being evil, just pure evil. Someone brings you something on this scale, it's their own child, and you somehow forget about it with all the scripture you've memorized, with all the all the people's names you pride yourself on knowing and you can shout them out from the pulpit. Forgetting about a meeting that centers around your longtime staff members, children's being children being abused sexually. Got selective memory, man. Anyways, again, all, all, all I'm trying to get out here in the end is I'm about truth. I'm about the victim coming forward and saying their bit and and being able to do it uninhibited as opposed to what we're dealing with now, which is every time a victim comes forward, well, why did you wait so long? Why, 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 why? I'm not saying they shouldn't be vetted, but if the district attorney has several victims that have the same story, your time's up, man. You're going to do the time, and he will. But beyond that, we need accountability. Just like Pat said, that was a great statement by Pat. Uh, Pat and April both, both said, you know, uh, had mirroring statements. Uh, and I, I watched Pat's interview. It was a great interview. Uh, when he was there for Victor's um, first, uh, first, um, first time Victor showed up in court, and I'll never forget. And Pat said, "Church should be a safe place," and I think I'll end it on that note today. Church should be, a, I mean, every place should be a safe place, but every place is not going to be a safe place. We understand that. There are places that we that we feel like we can go. A bar is probably not the safest place. I was in a bar last night. I didn't feel safe. <laughs> And I'm not saying all bars are unsafe. I'm saying this particular bar, I didn't feel safe in. You don't go to a bar necessarily to feel safe. Probably me, I don't go to an amusement park to feel safe. Why? I suck at roller coasters. Like some roller coasters I can do, but a lot of them I can't. So I don't feel, there's some places I don't feel safe. When I'm home, I feel safe. You know what? There's a church up in Chino. I'm thinking about um, checking that church out. It's an IFB church. But you know what? I think I'll feel safe there. I know the pastor. I know the youth pastor. I think I'll feel safe. When I come home to my apartment, I feel safe. When I go home to my parents at Christmas or Thanksgiving, I feel safe. When I go to my friend's house, I'm going to a friend's house tonight, I feel safe. Growing up in church, I felt safe at church. When I go home, uh, when I go to my dad's church, I feel safe. Pat's right. Church is a place we should feel safe. It's not a place where pedophiles should be allowed to lurk 
and pray and P-R-E-Y and be able to take advantage of, of women and children. It's just not, it's, it's, it's not, that's not, that's not church. That shouldn't be church. But man, why is it every time you look at the news, it's more church? I'm, and again, I'm not saying it's not happening in other places. Clearly it's been happening in Hollywood for decades. But church shouldn't happen in church. It just shouldn't. All right. Thank you guys for sticking with me through this. I know this is more reading than anything else. I do have some guests uh, uh, on the back burner. We have episodes ready to go. We are going to get them out. I know I keep promising that and not doing it, but these perverts keep coming out of the woodwork. we got to talk about it. So that's happening uh, as far as we're having, and we have some new guests coming on that I'm super excited about. I can't wait to share those with you as well. But um, as always, thanks so much for sticking around this long for this episode of Not Your Mother's Podcast. Very grateful for all the support. Please, 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 please be supportive of the victims. If there's something they've asked you to share or not share, please be uh, uh, supportive of that and please listen to them and please um, uh, give them a kind word or say something nice to them. A kind word goes a long way these days. So, And they're getting a lot of uh, pushback and opposition. So whether it's April Avila, whether it's um, Sarah Jackson and so many more uh, excuse me, victims, Whoever it is, if you can give a little bit of something to a little bit of encouragement or, hey, I saw your story on Not Your Mother's Podcast, or even if you didn't see it here, if you found it somewhere else, man, take some time and uh, brighten their day a little bit because they sure could use it. This is for the victims. That's who this is for. Thanks for watching. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Not Your Mother's Podcast.